Um, yeah. Good morning. Wow, that was lovely. Thank you guys. I heard you uh you all had a really great time last week in the encounter service too. I was back there with the kids, but I'm grateful for for those moments, um, those times when the Lord shows up and speaks, and so many different people have have words and verses and things to share. So. Well, my name is Leah Pavel. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I go with that guy right there in the front. Um, we're the, the pastors. We co-pastor here. Happy New Year. Um, this is our first sermon of the year. Um, maybe you'll be excited to know that one of my New Year's resolutions is to preach shorter sermons. <laughs> but come on, guys. You, you guys know how New Year's resolutions actually go. Like... <coughs> Let's be for real, um, right? So this morning, we're actually going to start a new series. Um, probably take us a couple of months, but, but in all seriousness, our, our, our goal is longer series, shorter sermons. That's, that's what we're going for. We'll see how it, how it works. Um, so we're going to start a new series today called Everything on the Table. There, I've got my monitor. Excellent. Um, and and this, is, this might sound familiar to you, like with what Josh said at communion today. Um, because it is. This is an extension of that value, that call to make the table central, to make that table of Jesus that he invites us to, that table that is filled to overflowing with grace and mercy and forgiveness and provision, to make that the central thing of our community, to make that what we invite people to when we invite them to church, to make that the thing that, that we are proclaiming when we are sharing the gospel, that it's not us, it's not about becoming a part of a church or an organization or a religion or anything about that. It's, it's coming to the table of Jesus and all that he offers. Because if we, if we invite them to anything else, we're inviting them to something lesser, right? So we're inviting them to the table of Jesus. And it's a good thing. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons we put the literal table in the middle. It's a little awkward and hard to get around, but the whole idea is we come together around this one thing. It's what makes us a people. It's what makes us a people of the presence of God. It's what makes us a community, and it's what we found all of our relationships on. And so it's a good thing to come to his table, either the literal table um, or that, that metaphorical, that spiritual table, to receive from him to be filled by him, to be renewed and restored by him and all the other things that we need. But there's some things that all of us, I think, kind of like to keep hidden underneath the table. We don't always bring everything to the table. We don't always lay it up there out in plain view. These are things that we try to, whether consciously or not, isolate from the influence and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And it's just a part of our sanctification, right? These are things that maybe we don't want to bring into the light because then we're exposed. Then we might feel shame. Things that we want to control. Things that maybe we want to do our own way instead of doing his way or things that we don't want to give up. You know, things maybe even that we mindsets we have and things that we believe that make us more comfortable about the things that we do or help us to hold attention better. Things that we do or maybe ways that we behave that satisfy something in our human nature but that aren't honoring to God. 
And we can have a tendency to kind of sweep those under the table and keep them hidden and out of sight. But this series that we're getting into, Everything on the Table, is all about finding freedom in the good news of Jesus and holding absolutely nothing back from him. Because he's a good God, he's a gracious God, and he knows it all anyway. Right? So let's let that out. Because Jesus wants all of us. And I mean that in both ways. I mean, he wants every single person in this room. He wants you. He wants your life. He wants you in relationship with you. But he also wants all of us. He wants every piece of each one of us. He wants every aspect of our lives, every thought we think, every breath that we breathe. He wants our hopes. He wants our dreams. He wants our plans. He wants our finances. He wants our identity. He even wants our idols and our fears and our anxiety and all of it. He wants every piece of us. And he's present to minister to it and to heal it and to free us from it and forgive us of it. He wants every bit of us. The good news is not just that Jesus saves our souls and kind of punches our ticket to heaven, but part of the good news is that we get the kingdom here now, we get his goodness here now, that we get to walk in it and experience it on this earth here today, and that he redeems and sanctifies every other part of our lives that we don't just have to wait to get to heaven for all that good stuff. And so we need to move in that now. We need to respond to that now. And so this series is all about putting and keeping every one of those things right out on the table. And it might be challenging, but we're going to take some time and dig in this together and do this. Because we want to have it accessible to Jesus for him to transform us and to heal us and to forgive us. It's about believing what the word of God reveals about who Jesus is over what we might errantly or mistakenly think about the way that he operates and relates to us. It's about trusting Jesus more with all of these scary, hidden, shameful things than we trust ourselves to manage them, okay? So we need to figure out first where it is that the world has its grip on us in these things and has shaped our perspective on these matters as opposed to us having and gripping onto Jesus's perspective. So that's where we're going to be going through all this. We need to take those areas, put them on the table, and submit them to Lordship of Jesus. Now, I don't know if any of you grew up in a church. You know, I grew up in a, a big, beautiful Baptist church that always sang that song, I Surrender All. You guys know that one? I surrender all, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all. You know, and, and if we really do that, that's, that's hard. But that's where we're going with this, is to get to the place of complete surrender. Lord, it's all yours. Have it. And do as you will with it. If there's one driving verse in this series, it's this. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So that's the heart behind all of this. God, search me. I'm not going to keep the doors closed. I'm not going to hold the windows shut. Search me. I'm open, Lord. Your spirit, have your way. It's have your way, Holy Spirit, and transform me as a result. Because God doesn't come in to shame and condemn, right? He comes in to transform and to heal. So let's just pray for this now really quick. Lord, posture us in this way. 
help us in the places that we want to maintain control and stay hidden. Help us, Lord, to open our hands to you, to open our hearts to you, and to finally be willing, wherever we might be holding back, to let you have it, to let you do what you want to do, to search all the deep, dark, hidden parts and set us free from things we need to be set free from. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, a couple of disclaimers here. Nothing that we are going to talk about in this series, and I say we, but Josh and I will be preaching, but hopefully um, some other folks as well. We've, we want to get some more voices in on this one, um, you know, some other folks with some teaching gifts and things. But there is nothing about what we're going to say in this series that is intended to be shameful or guilt-inducing or condemning, because this isn't about shame or guilt. And so if you begin to experience those emotions and feel those emotions during this series, check that. Because there's freedom in the Lord, and he doesn't bring condemnation. He brings conviction that leads to repentance, that leads to change. So if you're experiencing condemnation, that's from something else. Rebuke it, okay? And let's be willing to engage in the hard work of facing these things and laying them on the table. This is about discipleship. This is about the Spirit of God revealing our hearts so that we can be led through conviction into repentance. That's very important. So that we can experience real freedom and wholeness in these areas for several reasons. One, so that, like I said, we actually get to experience the kingdom here and now. Freedom in our lives of actually, it's, you know, Jesus came, it's for freedom, he set us free. I always thought that was a really dumb verse. It sounds really repetitive. But no, really, he set us free so that we could experience freedom here and now, to actually have an encounter of freedom. Number two, so that we actually hand down healthy mentalities and practices to our next generation. If you have kids, you probably don't want to hand them your junk, right? You look at them and you're like, don't get that from me, you know? Don't, don't let that be what you inherit, so when we are transformed and we have healthy, godly mindsets and practices, then we can hand those off to the next generation, whether it be our own biological children or people that we're mentoring or discipling, right? We want to pass on the gold, right, and get rid of the rest. And three, so that we can grow emotionally so that we can also grow spiritually. Emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are tightly fit together. Because we can't stay emotionally immature and become spiritually mature. And so this helps us to grow in both of those ways. And so I hope it excites you all to dig in this together. Be a couple months probably. But that's what we're going to be doing um, for this next series until we, I don't know, maybe hit Lent or something. All right. So today we're going to start off talking about expectations. Looking up at the mountain, how high our expectations can be, right? Or how high others' expectations or how daunting they can feel. Seeking to have really good, godly, healthy, um, kingdom-centered expectations seem to be a really good thing to start off the new year with, right? Let, let, to start our year really resetting in these areas. 
This is a teaching I've actually been wanting to do. I, I had been saying one year, and I look back, it's been two years I've been holding on to this teaching. I really think it's something that the Lord has kind of banked for us, and I, actually, I wanted to do it in leadership, and it just didn't work out, and, and I think I got to the point where God was like, no, let's, let's make this a whole church thing. So for two years, I've been longing to do this, and I had so much to say, and trying to keep it to 30 minutes was going to be a challenge. So I feel like we're going to hit our three main points pretty quickly, but I hope in ministry time you'll dig in further to the ones that you need to dig into, okay? So there's three main areas that I want us to assess today as far as our expectations go. The first one being what are our expectations of God? The second one being what are our expectations of ourselves? And the third one being what are our expectations of each other? Where those come from, where we got those from, and how we act on those. All right, you ready? Move through these kind of quickly. Let's do it. All right. If we, we're going to start with our expectations of God. But I want us to realize that if we really dig into all three of these areas and we allow the Lord to search us and to refine us in these areas, what's going to happen is that we are going, our whole lives are going to be transformed by it because it affects every single relationship that we have, every one. And so our relationships are going to be better for it. Our anxiety is going to be better for it. The way we relate to people is going to be better for it. We'll be better parents and siblings and daughters and sons and coworkers and all that. All right. So let's, let's dig into this because we want to be healthier, more patient, more loving people by having healthier expectations of, of God, of ourselves, and of one another. All right, so let's start with our expectations of God. And I want to start here because this is really the foundation of everything else, right? If we have misple misplaced expectations of God, everything else from there down is going to fall apart, okay? So many of you know we have pre-service prayer at 10 a.m., Sunday mornings before the service. And we come in here and we pray and we ask the Lord what he's going to do today, what he's saying, how it's, you know, how, how he wants us to work, that, that sort of thing. Um, and it's every Sunday at 10 a.m. Anybody's welcome. It's not just worship team or staff or whatever. Anyone who wants to come and pray for the service is welcome to join us for that. And so last week, um, Luke actually had a word, and I began typing it in my phone as soon as he said it. Because when he shared it, Josh and I looked at each other and giggled because we knew it's what I was preaching on today. And, and last week in pre-service prayer, Luke said, you know, I really feel like the Lord is highlighting expectations. And I'm like, yeah because I love those confirmations I get. Like it makes me feel like I'm not like completely off on my own train tracks, you know, heading somewhere else that the Lord isn't heading. But what Luke said that, that he was hearing from the Lord, it was really an admonition of kind of checking ourselves, okay? To doing a, a little bit of a self-assessment and checking our expectations and, and wondering, are we in 2020 just expecting more of the same bad junk that we've gotten in 2019, in 2020, in 2021. And is that all we're expecting for 2022? Where's our mindset on that? What's our outlook? Why, if we are, is this not the year of the Lord? Are his times not in our, are our times not in his hands? Is he not Lord of all of this stuff? And so why then, would we do that, right? Yeah. Now, if we place our expectation of just more of the same old disappointment on our future, 
Are we not placing limits on what we believe that God can and will do? What are our expectations for how God will move this year and how he will meet us? Yeah, so if you're on social media, you've probably seen this gem floating around or some version of it, right? When you realize 2022 is pronounced 2022 as an also, right? I've seen this everywhere. Have you guys, uh, this popped up with some, some different really, sorry, some really different panicked face, d- depending on what version you've seen. Anyone else feel this way? Like a little, yeah, can we just like just confess it? Like, yeah, feeling a little anxiety that, yeah, yeah, a little, a lot, significant amount, an overwhelming amount, a burdensome amount, right? It, it does, it kind of has that feeling of here we go again, right? Same merry-go-round, different revolution. Where are we going, right? And it's really a joke, but it really does reflect our outlook. Of, God, here we go again, same junk, different year, right? Things are, things are no better off, no hope for anything better. We were two days in, we've written this year off already, like where are we going here? But then a day or so later, Anne shared this, and I had to grab it off of your Facebook, because this makes, it, the next slide, I don't know if you can see this. It's a 2020 that these little critters are on, whatever they're on. And the one looking really terrified there says, aren't you terrified of what 2022 could be like? Everything's so messed up. And the other says, I think it'll bring flowers. First, well, yeah, why? Because I'm planting flowers. What are you investing in? What seeds are you planting? What expectations are you having? You know, the book of Matthew tells us not to be anxious for tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. God's present today. And he's got our tomorrow in his hands. And we're not to fear what's ahead. Because Jesus is on the throne and he's king. And we're not to fear. You know, these are just silly social media posts. But even in this, can you feel how powerful our expectations really are? What our outlook really is. What we set our hope and our hearts on. They're powerful. And here's why they're so powerful. Psalm 62, 5. My soul, wait only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Now, some of us might be way more familiar with this verse, the version that says, my hope is from him. It's the same word. That, that Hebrew word that I can't pronounce and won't even try, it's actually translated in Job as, as expectation. My expectation is from him. The source of our hope is the expectation we place in God. Because if we don't expect God to do anything, we don't have a whole lot of hope, do we? But if we believe who he is and what he said he will do, our hope is great. And so the source of our hope is the expectation that we have of God and his goodness. Okay? How will he show up? What will we do? What will he do? How will he rescue us? Our expectations are so powerful because therein our hope actually lies. How, think about it. How strong is our hope when we really expect our Savior to show up? How strong is our hope when we believe in the promises that he gave us, that he will actually fulfill them? So my soul, it's almost a command, right? Even when we don't feel it, even when we're anxious and we're worried, my soul, God, waits only for you. Wait for God, our souls. It's like David commanded his soul. I expect you, God, to fulfill your promises because you're faithful and you're trustworthy and you're good. I expect you to come. You, God, are my hope. Now, for a lot of us, I think we could probably stop right there and be like, all right, I got enough to chew on. Got to reset my expectations. Got to put my hope in the right place, right? 
got to shift my perspective. We're, but we're kind of just getting started here. <laughs> so before we move on to our next point, I want us to ex consider something else. Where is it that our expectations of God actually come from? Just let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. Where do our expectations of God come from? Now, of course, the correct church answer would be the Bible, right? Okay, yeah, sure, right. That's, that's like our Sunday school answer, okay? And that's great. If, if that were actually the case, that would be great. Yes, the Bible gives us very solid, very clear things that we can expect and not expect from our Lord because it's true, right? It does. That's what it does. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, says this, No matter how many promises God has made, they are, yes, in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So no matter how many promises he, God has made, they are true and yes in Jesus. So we can trust all of them. That's what the Bible tells us, right? But is that always reality for us? We can expect those things from him, but do we always? Is that really where our expectation always comes from? It would be wonderful if that were always the case. But I think for most of us, that's probably not 100% true. And we need to think about and assess where our expectations of God come from. There's a lot of different things, and I'm not going to go into all of them because I'm going to leave that for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. Are there places you have misplaced, incorrect, way too low expectations of the Lord? And I'm going to leave that to his work to minister to you. But I want to look really quick at the story of Naaman. We're going to go to 2 Kings. 2 Kings 5. Naaman was a very good and powerful military leader. He had the favor of his king, but he had a really big problem. He had leprosy. So he was very, very sick. And when your skin and your limbs are falling off, it makes it really hard to be a good military leader. And without going into all the details, Naaman had a servant girl in his house that was actually from Israel. She was an Israelite. And she knew of Elisha, the prophet in Israel. And so she tells Naaman, you know, if you go see this guy, he will heal you of your leprosy. Like th this guy is a very powerful prophet. He, he knows God, he hears from God, and he can heal you. And so Naaman gets permission from his king to go and see Elisha. And here's what happens. We're going to read 2 Kings 5, 9 through 14. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. <laughs> but Naaman went away angry and said, well, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not, I don't know, Abana and Par Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I just go wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him, the voice of reason comes, right? And said to him, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, he relented, he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, 
and he became clean like that of a young boy. Now, we see here that Naaman had a very clear expectation of what God was going to do and how he was going to do it. And when things didn't come out that way, he was none too pleased. Now, we don't know why he had that expectation. Why did he think that the way that this was going to happen was that Elisha was going to walk out of the house, stand to him, call on God, wave his hand, and everything was going to be... What, well, where did he get that expectation from? We don't really know. Maybe he'd seen something like that. Maybe that's what the servant girl had seen and told him that that's how it would happen. But regardless, he very clearly had a certain expectation that wasn't met. And his reaction to that expectation was anger and rage. And Naaman very nearly missed out on a life-changing miracle of God because he rejected the move of God because it didn't match his expectations of how God would move. This is very important. He almost missed out on a miracle in his life because he was unwilling to see God the way that God was doing something instead of the way he expected it to happen. We have to keep our eyes open for the way that God is moving it's not according to what we think he should or would do. All right? So where have our own expectations of God come from? Maybe we have expectations of God that have actually come from our disappointments, kind of like Naaman. We wanted X, Y, Z to happen, but it didn't. It didn't happen that way. So we begin to expect less of God or, or begin to not really put our hope there. Maybe it's from things that other people say. Oh, God doesn't you know, love those people, or God doesn't forgive that sin, or God doesn't answer that prayer, or where does our expectations of God come from? Maybe your faith in God has actually been harmed at some point because someone who was supposed to love you, to care for you, to protect you, to provide for you, to show up for you, didn't do it. And now you took that person's failures and you superimposed them on the character of God. And you begin to expect less from him. I really believe that God is inviting you to put that on the table today. Allow him to heal that and minister to that and reset your relationship with him. All right. Let's move on next to our expectations of ourselves. So same question. Where do our expectations of ourselves come from? Oh, that can be a lot of different things, can't it? Oh, my goodness the myriad avenues that pressure and expectation come from work, from school, from parents, from friends, from gosh, so many. When, when Josh very first became a pastor at the last church, the church that we planted out of, um, I, I wasn't like that level of leadership. Like I wasn't a pastor too. He was. But being the pastor's wife, there were people who had very clear expectations of me and what I would do as a pastor's wife. And I was like, oh, oh, really? Oh, shoot, okay, wait, oh, yeah, okay. Because I'm a people pleaser, right? I don't want to disappoint people. And for a bit, I began to take these expectations on myself, and then I went, whoa, hold up. No, what is this? And I had to genuinely go to God and be like, God, is this from you? Or is this just other people's junk that they're putting on me? The vast majority of it was other people's junk. And I had to be okay with realizing that and saying no. I've gotten a lot better at that since. (laughs) 
you know I had I had to really ask God is this really what you expect of me and if I'm being really honest this is why back in college I had real weird feelings about dating a guy that wanted to be a pastor anyway because I was like if he's a pastor that means I have to like play an organ or lead the kids church or like whatever ironically kids church right I love them but truly, I had these expectations even of myself that came from really unhealthy places. They weren't things God was putting on me. They weren't my giftings and callings. I grew into some of them. I still don't play an organ. Sorry if I'm a bad pastor's wife. I tried for a year and a half. <laughs> you, I tried. You can't teach old dog news new tricks. Sorry. Um, but, you know, really, here's, here's the comfort in this, okay? There is no greater example of this than Jesus himself. Think about Jesus and his life and what he went through. Think about the expectations that were placed on him. A lot of people had very distinct expectations of who the Messiah was going to be, how he was going to act, what he was going to look like, how he was going to heal and save, right? How many of them actually fit in the time? You know, maybe his father Joseph expected him just to carry on with the family carpentry business, right? And to follow in his father's footsteps. Many of the Jews expected him to be a warrior messiah, yeah? The zealots certainly expected him to pick up a sword and go fight Rome and kick them out. That's how they thought it was going <clears> to <throat> excuse me, happen, right? The people near Jesus' own hometown actually didn't have very many expectations of it at all. Because remember the phrase was, well, can anything good come from Nazareth? They had very low expectations of him. The people in the temple certainly didn't expect him to stand up and teach because he'd never learned under a rabbi like the rest of them did. He didn't go through the proper channels. They didn't even expect him to be able to read, much less explain the scriptures and unfold those scrolls the way that he did. Think about how many expectations were placed on the person of Jesus. The Messiah himself. And people still tried to conform him to what they thought he should be and do. But unlike ourselves... Jesus never let others' expectations of him change what he thought about himself. He was grounded in who he was and his identity. John 7, 28-29 Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I come from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know, but I know him, and I am from him, and he sent me. He had no question about where his expectations of himself came from. Jesus knew that he's the son of God and nothing anyone else ever placed of him ever made him question that identity, that calling. He never tried to soften his message to meet others' expectations. He never changed the way he called people to repentance. He never changed the way that he ministered and healed and delivered others to fit others' expectations. My goodness, he made mud and spit in it and put it in people's eyes. He only did what he saw the Father doing because his expectations came from him and him alone. Now, I don't know if you feel like you failed or like you're less than because you haven't lived up to other people's expectations of you. If they're not God's expectations of you, let them go. They're not yours to carry, okay? Thank you. Nikisha's not out here. Y'all are like so quiet. Even Melissa's kind of quiet today. I don't know. You know, I... For me, myself, this is your pa one of your pastors confessing. I'm so messed up sometimes 
that I feel shame and condemnation and guilt because I don't live up to the expectations that I just assume other people have of me and they don't even. I just think they do and I don't meet them and then I'm like, I'm a failure. Like how messed up is that, right? Those things need to go on the table. Hopefully I'm not the only one because at the cross of Jesus, we find freedom from these things. Jesus died for a lot of things. He died to save our souls, but there's a lot of good stuff that comes out of it. And one of them is freedom from this kind of stuff. Freedom from anything that's not ours to carry. Freedom from expectations that are any other source than our creator. We can't always do much about other people's expectations of us, but we can control how we allow those to affect the way we think and act and view ourselves and what we, how we respond to them and what we do with them. We, that is what our response. That's our part. Okay? We can do a health check and make sure we're not taking on other people's misplaced or unfitting expectations of us. And we can go to our Father daily. And ha- I don't know if any of you guys, this is like a little off my point, but we have this little book, the little Wemmicks book. Any of your kids like know that? It's the cutest story of, of expectations. Okay, if you, if you don't have it, it's pointless. But um, it, it's, it's a story. That's it's what it's all about. Going to Eli, who, who's the Jesus figure, the creator figure in this, and, and letting him strip off everything that's not of him and letting him place on them his expectations. And we can go to the Father and figure out really what he expects of us. Maybe we don't feel like we know. We can go and figure out that we're still aligned with those things. And here's just a few of those things. Like we said, the Bible is our source, right? Just a few of those things of what he expects of us. He expects us to love mercy. He expects us to act justly. He expects us to walk humbly before him. He expects us to seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. He expects us to love others as he has loved us. He expects us to forgive others as we have been forgiven not to be like the best teacher, the best employee, the perfect parent, the perfect planner. Those are, those are from other sources. And so if you're struggling with what God expects of you, go to his word. He's pretty clear about it. Okay. Unlike how we can be, and our third point, our expectations of others. And, and this is our last point, okay? This is where, you know, these first two, they're, they're more heart condition kind of stuff. Um, and this one is too, but here we're going to get super practical and how we can be more life-giving people to others, okay? And we're going to talk about the things that we can do starting right now today to be more patient and more merciful people concerning our expectations of others. The way that we manage our expectations of others affects every single relationship we have. And I think you probably want good, healthy relationships, right? You don't want them to be strained and you don't want to feel disappointed in people and people to be disappointed in you. And it reaches every aspect of our lives, our church even, you know, our coworkers, our families, even those that we like check out next to in the grocery store and drive, pa- drive by on the bypass, right? We definitely have expectations of those people, right? Now I'm going to assume that in general, we don't want to be the kind of people that put overbearing, misplaced, expectations on others, right? I'm just going to assume that that's our heart motive. If you do want to control other people, there's a great therapist office right across the hall that will help you work through that, okay? But truly, I'm going to assume that we want to be the kind of people that don't do that to others, right? So if you will, please, 
Think with me for a moment about a time when you were disappointed because someone else didn't meet your expectations. Some of you might not have to go back past this morning. Sundays can be rough for this kind of thing, right? So just think for me, if you will, when a time you were disappointed when someone else didn't meet the expectations that you had for them. Maybe you were angry about it, like Naaman was. Maybe you were really hurt. Something, it really hurt your heart what they did or didn't do. Maybe it left you in a lurch with way more on your plate to take care of and do because they didn't do what you expected them to do and now you had to pick up the slack. Now with that in mind, let's go through an expectations check, okay? Let's see if the things that we expected of these other people are actually in line and healthy things from our side. So first, were you even aware that you had that expectation of that person? Sometimes we expect things of people that aren't even conscious, like we haven't even thought this through. It's just there. So that's, my, that's our first check. Were you even aware that you were holding that this ex, them to this standard and this expectation of them? Or did it just happen? Did you not even notice till after the fact and you realized, well, darn, I thought that they were going to handle that. And they didn't. But you'd never really thought ahead. Number two, was it realistic? Was that expectation that you had of them something that they could reasonably have done or do or take care of? Now, I, again, I can kind of speak as a pastor here and all the other pastors that I hear from. I know pastors that have literally broken fellowship and relationship with people who had been in their church and dear friends a very long time because of the expectations that some of their folks had on them. They're not always reasonable, you know. Many pastors have full-time jobs. You know, Josh has a nine-to-five. Many pastors are in situations where they can't just drop things immediately and go handle every little thing and have to work around other things. I know pastors that have been on vacation with their families, like out of town, out of state, when maybe a family member of someone in their congregation passed away and they wanted the pastor to do the funeral. And they had an expectation of that pastor to, to end their once a year family vacation and come back and do that funeral. And when the pastor didn't do it, they cut him off. They didn't come to church anymore. They didn't speak to him anymore, you know? What are we expecting of other people? Is it reasonable? Is it loving? Is it realistic? Do, do we expect them to come back from, you know, Mexico when they're on vacation with their family? What are, what are we doing to make space for others? All right, number three, was the expectation vocalized? This is so important. There is enormous power in actually vocalizing our expectations. We can do things where we expect others to just know what we want, don't we? Especially if we're really close to them, especially if they're in our family, especially if they know us really well. Well, they know me. They know I would want that. Can I get an amen from the spouses? Right? Yeah? We do this, don't we? And we put these expectations on the other people. But y'all, no one is a mind reader. We can't do that. We can't just assume that they know and that they know what we're thinking and expecting. If our expectation is realistic, we need to actually communicate it with love. 
because voicing our expectations of people really is a form of speaking truth in love. This is what I expect, and you've got to say it, all right? Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We have to communicate with each other. We have to grow in maturity. We have to be willing to do that for each other. Healthy expectations have to be spoken in love. And our last check, was the expectation agreed upon? Were they on board with it? We can have conscious, realistic, vocalized expectations, and if the other person isn't on board, it's not going to happen, and we're going to be frustrated every time. Right? They have to be in agreement. This requires good communication. You know? With our girls, Josh and I have very conscious, very realistic, and very spoken expectations that they're going to clean up after themselves. We are lacking greatly in that agreement part somewhere. And we're, there's a lot of candy trash on our, around our house. You can tell everywhere they've been, right? They have to agree to it. They have to be on board. They have to buy in to this. We had a, a, a family Christmas dinner, actually, where my family expected us to be there for this dinner the Saturday before Christmas. Okay. It's a priority to them. It matters. But then they also expected us to be there the whole week after, too. And fortunately, Josh and I have grown to the point to be able to say and actually have good boundaries. This is where good boundaries really matter, healthy boundaries, right? To say, here's what we're able to do. Which one would you like? We can come for the meal. We can come for the week. And it worked out. Because we got to the place where we realized we have to respect each other. And we have to talk. Thank goodness they told me they expected me there. That would have been way worse, right? So what happens if we don't go through this expectations check and assess the assumptions that we have about how others should behave? Well, here's what happens. If we don't approach our assumptions of others in this way, unhealthy expectations put us at risk of treating another individual like an object to be controlled, an it, rather than a person to be related to, a them. And we don't want to do that to people, right? We want to be loving. We want to treat people like tr people, not like objects to be controlled, okay? And we can actually grow in this area to where our expectations of each other, instead of treating people like objects, we begin to honor each other with our expectations. We don't place undue burden on one another. We show grace and mercy because it really is an expression of grace and mercy to have clear, realistic, vocalized expectations of each other. We can't hold people to things that they're not even aware of or in agreement with. All right? Now, footnote, to be very clear, there are plenty of times when people do come up short on completely realistic, practical expectations you know, expectations, healthy and appropriate communicated expectations. Parents should love their kids and provide for their kids. You know, employees should do the job they were hired to do. Those are realistic. And hurt that you've experienced from people failing on things that they, yes, 
were reasonable, realistic, healthy expectations, that's not on you. But there's forgiveness available. Okay? Let's be very, very careful and very sparing with our shoulds and our I shouldn't have to asks. Okay? Let's be gracious and merciful towards one another and not expect them to be mind readers. All right. So we're going to end on that very practical note. I know the first part was a much more of a spiritual exercise, like what are our expectations of God? What are our expectations of ourselves? And the last part was very practical. Um, but if you manage to get out of that without the Holy Spirit bringing something to mind and convicting you of some area that he would like for you to put on the table for him to minister to, then you're definitely the ministry team this morning. My expectation, though, is that we will be doing much more ministry to each other in groups. Because maybe there are places where you are hurt, where you had very healthy, reasonable expectations of someone else, and they let you down. So if, if, you've, if the Holy Spirit has, has stirred anything in you for this, this is a really good place to start the new year. A very healthy work to do, to dig into. This isn't something that happens overnight. This is something that has to be practiced every day, day in and day out, right? Realizing when you're having unrealistic expectations of yourself. Realizing when you're not expecting God to be God. Realizing when you're putting something on someone else that isn't healthy. So we're just going to take some time to pray for each other.